0: Hi, my name is Ben Atkinson and welcome to the Functional Health Podcast. I interview some of the leading voices in nutrition and lifestyle medicine. and I will share with you their stories, their expertise, and their advice, shedding light on the industry from each of their perspectives to help improve your health from today. This week, I'm delighted to share with you my conversation with Dr. Saul Combeser. Saul is a leading dentist with an interest in sports and functional dentistry. And today we talk about ways to improve and maintain your oral health to help improve your overall health. So without further ado, Saul, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much, Ben. Thanks for having me.
0: You're so very welcome. I'm actually really excited to have you on. So just to set the scene, you got into dentistry, but what got you into this kind of element of functional dentistry?
1: Well, I think, um, you know, just by way of a background quickly, I think it's probably relevant. Yeah. Um, I, um, before I did dentistry, I took a, a bit of a journey to get here and, um, I did a bachelor's in physiology and, uh, then went on to do a master's in, in health policy or international health policy. And, um, following that, spent some time working with uh, an HIV AIDS NGO in South Africa. So, and then ultimately into, um, healthcare communications followed finally by by dentistry um and I mean my dad's an orthodontist so one would think why didn't I go straight into it but I think I needed to to find my own journey um and work it out for myself which has I think given me probably a a greater appreciation as to why I went into the profession and, and what I want to achieve from the profession and obviously why how I, I choose to, to help my patients. And then, you know, when I sort of tie all that together, um, you know, and as with all of us dentists, you know, we, we get into it because we want to help people, mm-hmm. uh, we want to look after their health, um, you know, and, and having, I guess, by way of my background, seen quite a diverse, um, uh, diverse sort of areas of, of healthcare. And how everything integrates and comes together, um, from policy level through to practitioner level, through to communications, through to the impact of of industry. Um, you know, I, I start to sort of look at my approach to dentistry of more, you know, trying to integrate everything more and see how one thing has an impact on another and and taking a more sort of holistic approach, I guess. And um you know it's not just the mouth it's not just teeth that we're looking at we're looking at an entire person an entire patient and and it um you know things there's knock on effects and um we we can't disregard that and i think as the years go by the, the the evidence base grows linking um oral diseases and oral health with um general and systemic health and that ultimately sort of got me more interested in, in sort of the functional health uh, medicine approach. Um, you know, it's still new to me in that respect, um, sort of functional medicine, as it were. But it's certainly a, a very interesting um, area and an area which is which is rapidly growing um, and has a, a very large following. And yeah, that's that's my sort of background, as it were, and sort of how I got to this point and in terms of how I see my patients it's it's very important that um you know from a communication point of view uh, i always try to to emphasize that you know it's not just they may come in with a toothache for example or they may come in whatever the issue is but we need to to look at the bigger picture and um you know it's one one thing addressing tooth decay but actually we need to say well how did you end up with the tooth decay in the first place okay is it a diet thing and then you know whatever it may be and and um looking how it integrates with their general um approach to their health and and lifestyle
0: yes absolutely and that is something i got really interested in um a few years back when i came across the work of western A. price now he's someone that i've talked about a bunch of times on the show before but he was essentially for people who don't know um, a dentist who studied, um, I think it was 13 indigenous populations across the world. And this was about 60 years ago, something which he couldn't do now. I think it was more than that, actually, probably 80 years ago. And, and what he found was that in these indigenous populations, they had a reduction in the amount of cavities that they had compared to westernized um, populations. But also they had very much, very little to no instances of all the risks that we associate with um, a Westernized society. So cancer, heart disease, things of that nature. And that was my first introduction to how dental health was inexplicably linked to your physical health. Um, I'm not sure if you're... I, I guess you're probably um, more up-to-date than I am, again, of the, the more recent epidemiological data around dental health.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's its actually... there was um, I think it was... Uh, Hunter, William Hunter like the 1900s or thereabouts. Um, he was actually, you know, looking at sort of focal infections of, sort of related to oral health. Um, you know, and systemic health and general health. So, but you know, way back then, the, the research was pretty limited and it was very much anecdotal. So it was almost sort of cast aside, but it was generally, you know, that the discussion was, was started to being raised some time ago. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, it, it's, it's tying that together of, you know, the, the oral health and, and the, the general health. Um, what, you know, what is the sort of the causative factors? And, um, as you said, sort of looking at different societies and indigenous um, populations, for example, you know, the difference between those societies and Western societies, I think, you know, it's, it's very, very clear actually when it comes down to, you know, lifestyle, diet, nutrition, things like that. And, you know, when we're talking tooth decay specifically, you know, when we look at different studies, you see sort of rates of tooth decay shoot up and like, exceptionally high in societies, which um, essentially are having high rates of sugar and sugar has infiltrated almost every aspect of society. Now, yes. if we were to go back and, and look at these same populations now as compared to, you know, 50, 60 years ago, Uh, where the availability of these sort of sugar-rich processed manufactured diets um, is far more available, I suspect, and well, certainly there would be a a change in in their diets, in their dental dental health. And actually, you know, I do a lot of research, a lot of work with a charity called Dental Wellness Trust, and we Mm -hmm. focus on child dental health. And we do a lot of work in in the UK as well, but um, in South Africa and in Kenya. And, you know, our, we're seeing rates of tooth decay amongst children under the age of five or seven um, up to sort just of 80%. Unbelievable. Yeah, up to sort of 80%. So, you know, in a in a five-year-old, that's almost every single one of their tooth has some form of tooth decay. And this is sort of based on a screening. So we're not talking small little lesions, which you could pick up on an x-ray. We're talking lesions which you can visibly see just with the naked eye, essentially. Okay, maybe with magnification or from a dental perspective, but not you know to field screening. So, you know, and, and we're obviously doing treatment and research in terms of application of uh, different materials to support them. But let's take that fifty years ago, where you know you maybe wouldn't have had the availability and you know of certain fizzy drinks, um, you know, openly being marketed and and sponsoring events or whatever it may be. Then the tooth decay rates would have been obviously much lower. Now. Overall, as society, I think we are improving, um, mm-hmm. our, uh, dental health, but there are still many areas. I mean, tooth decay is the most common disease worldwide. Um, you know, I think it's, it's just alarming. And, you know, then you can have, to say, gum disease as well. Um, you know, there's mild gum disease in probably 50 to 60% of the population, 10% thereabouts, maybe have more severe gum disease, but, from um, tooth decay, I mean, we're talking billions of people worldwide have tooth decay. And why? Well, okay, is it because they don't brush their teeth? Well, or is it because, um, you know, they're consuming diets which are, you know, high in sugars and um, sort of fermentable carbohydrates, as you were, which mm-hmm. are sitting on the teeth? and. would of
0: Have you linked certain dietary patterns? Because you mentioned work in the UK, South Africa and Kenya. Be interested to see what the dietary patterns are and how that relates to tooth decay in general.
1: Well, it's interesting because the tooth decay rates in certain parts of the UK are similar uh, to those of people in um, less developed countries, which you think is quite shocking, actually. Um, you know, there's parts of England, um, where, you know, tooth decay, I mean, I do a lot of stuff in the area of, um, Luton and, mm-hmm. and parts of London and the tooth decay rates of children under the age of, um, five or seven is close to 40%. I mean, that is alarming. And The national average is about 23%, but, um, in certain boroughs, And a lot of it, you can link it to sort of migrant populations. Um, there's a major socioeconomic, um, factors, which you, you know, you can't ignore. Uh, you have, you can talk about access to, uh, dental, um, uh, services, uh, education, um, and diet and, and those sorts of, uh, things. But, you know, it's it's not, it's, it's, it is multifactorial, um, sort of dental health and, Um, there is many, there's a number of sort of strategies which need to be adopted to address it. Um, For example, we go and run toothbrushing programs in schools or we do fluoride varnish programs um, in schools to help improve the oral health of these children. And in in South Africa, we've been doing it for about seven years and we've seen significant improvements in in their dental health. But then there's, you know, other strategies and steps which can be taken for example they've been doing um you know banning of advertising of these energy drinks or you know high sugar drinks on tfl or you know the sugar tax things Mm -hmm. like that um require you know demanding reformulation um but again you know industry is you know will still be able to find ways around it and although you may reduce the sugar content you have to also then start looking at behavior change of of the individual um, you know and making them make healthier choices uh, yeah. to improve their own health
0: absolutely and I, I think it's one of those things of balance like I always I try not to demonize certain foods because I think that there is room for almost every single type of food if, if you just have it occasionally so a fizzy drink every once in a while you know every week even I mean I wouldn't necessarily recommend that, but I don't think it's going to have a detrimental impact on dental health if that's the only um, kind of sugar that you're intaking. However, if it's something that you're doing on a day-to-day basis, there's this bombardment of white refined carbohydrates and sugars um, and things that, you know, carbohydrates that get stuck in your teeth and then they're not taking out and then your sal- 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 oh, here we go Tongue-tied salivary amylase you can digest that into sugar whilst it's in your mouth and then it can cause the t- decay and all these little things seem to add up over time. And it seems that like diet seems to be the the, the the core problem here with a lot of um, or the core underlying problem. When I think toothbrushing and, you know, you mentioned yourself that these interventions do work, but there may be more covering a problem, which is, which is, which is ongoing.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. It's, it's, you know, reducing we often, you know, as a dentist, I say, you know, it's fine, you know, you can you can have a you know, a chocolate, you can I mean I've got kids, um, two kids under, you know, one's seven and one's five. Mm-hmm. And I let them have a the chocolate. You know, I think it's important for them to taste these things. You don't want to feel left out and you know, but it's very much in moderation. I mean, my kids definitely don't have um I personally would not allow them to have busy drinks. At this stage, because actually we just take the sugar out of it, for example, let's just take a diet fizzy drink. Um, and actually, you've then got the acids, the acidity of these drinks. Uh, and that's also unbelievably damaging to teeth, particularly baby teeth. You've got, you know, hot lemon water. It's like putting warm acid on your tooth. And mm-hmm. over time, you know, I know people sort of a lot of people advocate for these things as detoxes. But from a from a dental perspective, um there is clear evidence to show that sort of you know, constant exposure to these acids on the tooth, uh especially warm acids, um can begin to um weaken the enamel, will make them more susceptible to fractures. Suddenly you get fractures, you've got roughened surfaces there, um bacteria can start to ingress and start to cause things like such as tooth decay. So it's all it's multifactorial there. You know, then you can chuck into the fact, you know, well actually we're we're also clenching and grinding while having these High sugar, high acid diets, and we're causing further destruction and breakdown of the teeth, you know. And then, so that you're starting to bring in the stress and the mental health and the psychological aspect of it as well. So, so, like I was actually saying at the very start, when my patients come in and they say, Well, I've just got a I've chipped a tooth, you say, Well, I've got a, a tooth decay. So, well, how have you got the tooth decay? So, we, you know, as you take your history, you realize, Well, hold on a second, you've got your tooth decay because you're eating a lot of sugar, but actually, you also, um, having a lot of acidity in your diet you're also clenching and grinding as a result you're breaking your teeth there's more um opportunity for stuff to bacteria to and and sugars to be sitting on the teeth and and actually now we need to start looking at um your stress management um to help you manage and prevent um the grinding and and sort of the the parafunctional habits um you know we'd call it so it's all you know by doing a proper history you realize it's not just about the tooth is not just about the dental health it's taking into consideration the entire patient and mm-hmm. that to come back to your very question your question at the very start my interest in the functional medicine and functional dentistry aspect of it were is that's in a way quite a nice example because it links it you know something so so, so serious as, as mental health which obviously is going to be a huge fallout of the um this covid crisis um can I can see it, I see it in patients from a dental perspective. And it's very, very important to include, you know, to, to take that wider approach and wider view of the patient um, rather than just focusing on just teeth. We need to look at sort of how everything integrates.
0: Yes, no, I completely agree. Just to touch on a point that you mentioned and I wasn't really sure how it was linked. How does a high acid diet cause things like dental, uh, sorry, jaw clenching?
1: So the diet's not causing the clenching, the diet is the, and the acidity. So let's call it acidity, which is coming from um, extrinsic sources such as, um, you know, f- uh, frequently snacking of um, say citrus fruits mm-hmm. um, and, or having these hot lemon or hot um, fruit teas, which are high in acidity um, or diet drinks, or fizzy drinks actually of any form. Um, you know, a lot of them have sort of malic acid, citric acid, these things to sort of offset all the sweeteners. So that's sitting on the teeth. And a lot of people, you know, many people have, like you said, you know, a can of whatever it may be once a week, not really a problem, but lots of people do, you know, sit there and they graze throughout the day or they sip on their drinks throughout the day. Um, in their office, for example, um, you know, we all have our go to whatever it may be. Um, so now you've got a nice acidity sitting on the enamel and it begins to soften the enamel and can weaken it and the prisms of the enamel. Then on top of that, let's say, for example, you are particularly stressed or you have a habit of clenching and grinding. Um, you're sitting at your desk, you're focusing on your computer, whatever it may be. And you've now got this nice softened enamel and then you're sitting and you're grinding your teeth. Mm-hmm. You you can see from a from a from a structural point of view, you're grinding away the soft surface of tooth structure, and over time, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes it takes a long time to do, and we obviously have different um, different uh, measurements and, and things which we take of patients and um, to to assess and monitor these things, but that's how. Um, we see it clinically and there's different patterns. Um, you know, For example, some people brush their teeth exceptionally hard and they cause abrasive um, cavities. So they physically scrub the tooth structure away and scrub the gum away. Other people clench and grind and they sort of just flatten. Just imagine taking a pumice stone and just grinding it on your tooth and you flatten it away. And other people have, say, just on its own an acid exposure. Um, and that also causes a different pattern. Then on top of that, and this is, again, which I find very interesting and I often, we we do pick up in patients, is patients who suffer from um, uh, gastric reflux, Mm -hmm. for example. And we look in the patient's mouth and and you can see that there is clear patterns of acid uh, reflux and it hits sort of the, the certain surfaces of the teeth. And we know that this, you know, chronic gastric reflux has associated associations with things such as Barrett's esophagus, which of course is a potentially precancerous condition. So, you know, it's, it's important. Again, you can see that that's from a dental perspective. When I look into a patient's mouth, you know, we see, actually, hold on a second. You've got this. Have you, have you, you know, had a, um, endoscopy? How, are you aware of, you know, they suffer from reflux and maybe they've taken, you know, Rennie's or something like that, but actually they need to be made aware that there's potentially a, a wider issue there, which needs to be addressed. So, you know, it's important that these things are communicated to patients so that they understand that there is a knock on effect or, or what's happening. It's not just their tooth is wearing down from a bit of acidity. It's there's something going on slightly deeper down and within their systemic and, and their general health, which should be addressed. And, and then, you know and, and i think by getting patients to to understand that and take that on board i think they also probably take on a little bit more ownership of their own health and uh, their approach to health and looking after themselves and you know certainly from my perspective um you know i if i'm you know identifying issues such as that with patients you know i always recommend that they do see a specialist for example or they do consult with their their gp for second opinions, um, because while it's not my place to, you know, diagnose, you know, Barrett's esophagus, it is my place to identify disease in the mouth, which could potentially be associated with systemic health and and make patients aware of that.
0: Um, Yeah, and I think what you just outlined there is extremely important. You know, we always talk about and certain diseases and conditions being multifactorial and yet outlined from from me just counting on my hand five different things in terms of diet you know brushing and grinding your teeth acid in terms of like those lemon and I suppose apple cider vinegar is really popular now which can just put acid directly onto the teeth and even GERD and something which you wouldn't really think about and those five elements maybe one of them might be tolerable for your enamel and your tooth, but put them together, that's going to cause real decay very, very quickly. Um, yeah. And I think when you explain that to patients, it must be like quite eye-opening, but it's not just one element which causes tooth decay. It's many, or it can be many.
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, and I certainly with um, with my approach to, to patients is to try and make them understand that um, we it's like i've been saying kind of a few points throughout this is it's we need to take an integrated approach of our oral health um with our general health and um you know it's not things don't really okay let's take you know one case of a trauma for example out of it you get the hits in the tooth and, and the tooth breaks and that's okay but let's just talk about the general health of you know dental decay gum disease the impact that this has and i uh, you know i take photos of patients teeth, I show them their x rays, because once they physically see what's going on in their mouth, you know, you can, you can relate this to your health. And it's all, you know, it's very well me saying to a patient, okay, well, you've got, you know, a cavity on this tooth caused by this, you know, and it doesn't really mean anything to a lot of people when you just list off terms and give them facts. But by I find visually showing them, and you can almost see patients creating the picture in their mind, of how things link together. And, um, and I think it's, it's really important and it, it sort of emphasizes, reinforces my approach to this. And I think, and sort of obviously, you know, as dentists, this is how we are sort of trained to, to approach patients and communicate with them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I just think it's very important that we, that I think it's important that patients begin to put the two together. So to put the mouth, and your oral health, um, not to isolate it from everything else. Um, and I think historically, that's what's been done. And over time, you know, and with the advent of more research and evidence and, um, you know, changing um, sort of changing lifestyles. And I think that's becoming slowly, but it is, people are more aware. Um, I think it's driven from A few different angles i think it's driven from the scientific research point of view i think it's driven from the clinical point of view us you know encouraging patients to understand i think you know there's it's also driven from you have the lifestyle influence society's um sort of driving factor now maybe the intentions of some of these things are not necessarily for health maybe they're for cosmetics and aesthetics but ultimately um it can tie in you know patients wanting to look at dental health and things to look better and maybe going down whitening or veneers whatever it may be but how maintenance of the how 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 maintaining the good aesthetic in patients mouths um, they need to take on board the other issues as well if they if that makes sense um, Yeah, that that's come across correctly
0: yeah, I think it has, absolutely. And even there's, the, there's a functional element to that as well. And I know we talked off camera off off the podcast before about how there's certain diseases which are linked to your oral health. And I wonder if we can just dive into some of those now.
1: I think from uh, oral health and, and those issues related to sort of all disease related to general systemic health and systemic disease, Um it's a very, such an interesting area, and it's, it's something which I certainly um, discuss at length with a lot of patients. Now, I think with, with a lot of this, we need to, you know, we need to take a, you know, is it association or is it causation, really? I think mm-hmm. from the start, we need to be looking at that. Um, you know, there's obviously many confounders in, in all of the research, and, and, you know, are patients more susceptible um to certain things before we've even started looking at, at the research, but there certainly are strong associations with um a, a few issues such as uh periodontal disease and um cardiovascular disease and uh diabetes so type two diabetes but um in particular and I think to try to sort of break it down a little bit you know if we look at your mouth and you know the thousands of microorganisms which are in there at one point and then we look at let's say focus it down to uh, periodontal disease and you have you know uh, sort of thousands of microorganisms sitting in underneath the gum uh, slowly sort of destroying the bone the, the structures surrounding a tooth so we're talking here of, of gum disease so um, mild or um, severe gum disease and it's essentially a chronic inflammatory um, state which is going on in the mouth now you have you know you said you know the 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 causes well you know what are the mechanisms by which this this may be linked to our our general health well you know we've got a direct mechanism for example um i know this has been talked about many times and you know is the The microorganisms which are sitting there in these, what we call like a periodontal pocket. So, Mm -hmm. the gap between that has been created between the tooth and the supporting structures, where you have the bacteria sitting there and multiplying and slowly destroying the structures, is that causing the problems systemically? So, you know, they have these bacteria have been found um, at uh the the sites you know for example in thrombi you know so suggesting well does it have a role to play a direct role the bacteria itself um again this brings us back to that original comment which we were both talking about was you know um you know um hunter's postulation of you know you know focal infection is it related to oral health mm-hmm. um then we can talk about the other mechanism or sort of the indirect mechanism and that is the the chronic inflammation which is which is current which is going on as a result of the chronic um gum disease and your chronic inflammatory markers um your cytokines your crp levels have gone up you know as we know as an indicator for for systemic inflammation and um those is is the chronic inflammation more related to um, the, the chronic illnesses such as, you know, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, rheumatoid arthritis, you know, the, the, the more chronic inflammatory um, health issues. And I think it's certainly for, you know, cardiovascular disease, diabetes and, and rheumatoid, there's certainly much more association there. There is, I'd say, sort of less not as strong evidence but certainly by association you know with respiratory disease um you know a number of of other factors uh kidney function you know starting to to come to play in terms of the availability like the research which is available and this is down to you know the what's going on in the, the mouth you know if we i know there was a sort of consensus um the 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 um uh, society of uh, periodontology i think it was in 2013 there was a the consensus and agreed what i've just said actually about cardiovascular and diabetes and the association between, with uh, severe periodontitis mm-hmm. um and actually when we're looking at um you know the the management of patients with um Severe periodontitis, so they've gone under periodontal therapy, for example. And when we've gone back and we've and looked at, say, their glycemic index, um it's it's improved after um, treatment. And when we look at their CRP levels, um, you know they've reduced as a result of periodontal therapy. So,
0: what what does that entail exactly? If you're reducing CRP, because that's a systemic inflammatory marker. We,
1: if we are treating, let's say a patient comes in and they've got severe periodontal disease with chronic inflammation in their mouth, um, with, you know, huge, you know, deep pockets and the bacterial load is exceptionally high. And, and this is sort of, if you want to look at it, all the sort of micro um, bacteremia is continuously being exposed, continually happening, but also chronic inflammatory markers circulating around the body. So if we're able to, to treat the, um, and manage the, the gum health and reduce the bacterial load and reduce the chronic inflammation within the mouth. It's suggestive that this is associated with your, um, general, um, uh, information and then systemic information. So, you know, does that have an impact on your general health? And then that's what we're saying. And that's, that's what a, the, the research is, like you said, associated with. Particularly cardiovascular and, and diabetes, and it's 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 so important to get patients to understand that you know there it does appear that there is a link, okay. And by ignoring it, um, by just isolating the mouth and not tying it together with the rest of the body, um, it's potentially putting patients at greater risk. And now, like I said at the very start, you know there are you know patients likely to have been at risk beforehand and there's a number of confounders and things like that and mm. um, you know are they smokers as well and you know all those sorts of issues so you know they are more likely to to be susceptible to these things anyway but nevertheless I think we need to acknowledge um, that it's it's incredibly important to to put our oral health as part of our general health when we are approaching um, and looking at patients.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely fascinating. I guess one of the questions, because this is a topic which I'm not really familiar with, is that is the kind of the outcome in the mouth, this buildup of bacteria in the mouth, a problem which is is related, or I guess which came first, the chicken or the egg, right? Is the problem in the mouth related to what's happening internally inside the body and then it's manifested in the mouth, which you can actually see and test for? Or is it the opposite way around that something's happened in the mouth this build of a bacteria this periodontal disease which is causing an internal and systemic problem? Do you have any idea on that one yeah i
1: mean it's 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 difficult and, you know as as the years go by and we get more and more research to you know provide a causative link then you know it'd be you know you wouldn't want to absolutely you know say for sure at this point but it's there's certainly by association a, a, a a good indication that what is going on in the mouth does have seem to be having an impact on our systemic health and finally actually recently just before um not long before we sort of went into lockdown uh, she had a patient recently and she had been um she'd had a number of, of health of health issues and in her in her 80s and hadn't seen her for a little while and she came in saying she'd been feeling unwell and her dented, her doctor couldn't find um, the source of infection but her inflammatory markers were up certainly there was um, she was unwell for some reason and we looked in her mouth and her mouth really was not in a great state and there was um, a couple of broken teeth and there was a dental abscess and there was some gum disease and we treated that and um you know she went over a matter of months she had been back to the to the GP and and things had improved now I'm not saying that that is the direct I resolved the issues for her as a result of dental but it, it it suggested that her mouth was really in quite a poor state um was this you know having an impact but having said that like I said she had a number of other health ailments as well so it's it's certainly interesting and it's certainly important for patients to you know not just say well okay I'm I've got gum disease and it's just you know my my gums are bleeding let's just quickly go and get them cleaned and I'll be fine and then I'll come back and see my dentist a year later but actually we need to we need patients to say well you know it's not just a quick fix we need to we need to take ownership of your your health um you know be it disease be it just a chronic dental abscess as a result of patients just putting off having treatment you've got a infection sitting underneath the tooth and often patients come in they just want to have antibiotics just to calm things down but it's not it's not eliminating the infection it's not eliminating the source of the infection you just have this chronic inflammation and chronic infection sitting there in the mouth and you get sort of you know bacterial metastases as it were if you want to look at it from that perspective it's sitting in the mouth and is this Bacteria going to float off the rest of the body, and and the, the inflammatory marker is going to, you know, be a sign that there's there's further issues um, to come, and it's it's really crucial that patients, um, you know, don't try and I guess sort of look for a quick fix and think things will be resolved straight away, and it's not going to have an impact, um, you know, and and the rest of their bodies and, and health is going to be fine. Um, It's really important that they, you know, do take a more integrated approach and and understanding. Yeah, and a holistic approach. Yeah, and a holistic understanding of how things fit together. And, you know, like I said, we often get patients who want to come in, do something quickly, fix it and move on. And then we see them five years later, but actually, and they come back five years later and, and things have fallen apart again because yeah. the fundamental problems haven't been addressed. You know, exactly,
0: body- exactly. And we always talk about in functional medicine, like getting to the root cause of the problem. Um, and just because like, okay, we, we fix something, everything's okay right now. But if you don't correct that underlying issue, whether it be poor diet, teeth grinding, heavy brushing, acid, GERD, whatever it is, um, those issues are going to come back. Um, and I think that's, that's hugely important. You've outlined them extremely well there. And I think what you've also... Well what seems to be reaffirmed in my mind is that there's an interconnectivity between what's going on in your systemic system in terms of health and what's going on in in your mouth. And I guess we know this now in terms of the foods that we eat can influence our gut microbiome and also the foods that we eat can influence our oral microbiome and whether the that's actually reflected elsewhere is also extremely fascinating. I'd be interested to see whether dental health is also linked to many other diseases that maybe haven't been tracked before, even cancers, for example, or certainly hypertension and things like that. I mean, I spoke to you just before the podcast about um a study which i've read which i've not managed to go into about mouthwash potentially knocking out some of the nitrite reductase enzymes in the mouth reducing nitric oxide to be produced in the body and we know nitric oxide is essential for phasodilation of arteries and that might is potentially linked to hypertension however there's not really been an interventional trial to prove that but i think that's hugely interesting as well um I know we spoke just before the podcast about how potentially your mental health can have a detrimental impact on your oral health. What did you mean by that?
1: Well, I think I think there's a, a few ways to, to look at it. I think, firstly, we should look at, um, you know, from a cognitive function point of view. Um, there was actually an interesting study um, done and it's looking at sort of cognitive function and, and how that is impacting um, uh, sort of periodontal status and in patients with um, Alzheimer's, in fact. And as sort of cognitive function decreases or as um, age increases, their you know rate of periodontal disease appears to be worsening. And is that because they are, you know, these patients or individuals are unable to process, you know, and, and physically brush um, their teeth from a dexterity point of view, but also from a memory point of view. Um, I mean, I do see I see patients who, um, you know, do struggle to maintain these daily routines and need uh, further support. And as a result, um, there's a number, you end up with a number of issues with their oral health. And we know that particularly in care homes and care facilities, this is a major major issue. There's a large focus in care homes from the CQC with regards to oral health because, you know, you can imagine that these individuals are physically unable to maintain um, their dental health and, you know, be it just dentures, for example, or their actual own teeth, they can all harbour bacteria, um, but also the actual know-how to do it themselves. Um, so there's sort of the mental health aspects in that respect from the elderly. But I also, I think there's also, I find it quite interesting when we look at younger generation, actually, mm-hmm. um, kind of touched on it very briefly before from the aesthetic point of view, but, you know, sort of the influence of modern day society and pressures of individual, pressures on individuals to sort of attain a certain body image and social media influences and all of this stuff. And, you know, that, the, the stress that that can put on an individual's mental health and how that can tie into their uh, dental health. So, you know, the, 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 the pressures to look a certain way or your teeth to look a certain way, um, you know, let's say from a weight perspective, for argument's sake. Okay, so more patients, there's people who may suffer from, um, say, eating disorders as a result. And we touched on it before from gastric acids, you know, that can have a devastating impact on their teeth. Um, let's talk about the, 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 the pressures to, for the teeth to look a certain way. So people want to, um, you know, constantly obsess with their you know, looking white or having veneers and you going down the issues there of sort of body dysmorphia issues. So there's the mental health issues there. And these are all things from my perspective, which, you know, it's important that I, you know, we discuss these issues with patients because it has a direct impact on their dental health. You know, a patient constantly wanting to do, you know, never happy with the appearance of their teeth and constantly wanting to do things can actually be very, very destructive. Uh, you know, and it's our role to put our patient's health and interests first. Um, you know, patients are for profits as it were in a, in a sort of crude way as a term which has been heard before. But, mm-hmm. and it's important that we, you factor in these other issues and how that has an impact on individuals oral and dental health. Um, And then you could go right down to sort of child health, which kind of brings us right back to where we started at the very beginning in terms of child dental health. You know, if if a child, and this is a lot of the stuff I do at the charity, you know, our approach is, you know, I I see, you know, general health through through dental health and particularly from a child perspective. You know, I, I often hear from parents saying, well, you know, it's not a problem. It's just their baby tooth. It's not a problem if you have to extract that tooth or they had an abscess in that tooth the adult tooth will come through. But actually, it's it's very frustrating when pe- parents say that because, you know, if you are a child who's four, five, six, whatever it may be, and having to have your teeth taken out, you have a major potential knock-on effect from a psychological point of view. So, you know, the four-year-old has to have a general anaesthetic. Um, they are maybe being teased by their friends and their, coll- and, and their classmates for having... um decayed teeth missing teeth whatever it may be they no longer want to smile you know suddenly a child as young as four five whatever it may be is lacking confidence to do what every child should just be doing freely and smiling and talking and having fun um, it has a knock-on effect and you know I see it in patients who come in and young patients particularly and how that's you know you you can see sort of that they're just conscious of it and then that slowly over time manifest as they get older they become more self-aware more self-conscious of their smile and you know maybe they're lacking confidence and they no longer want to you know go out or speak with friends you know and if when you look at it from that perspective it really does have quite a major impact um on a mental health um perspective and so again that's you know from from so many different angles and so many different perspectives the maintaining your mouth and your oral health um is so crucial to one's general health and well-being not just from the physical but from the mental from the emotional um uh, points of view as well
0: yeah absolutely and what you just said there about like the child not wanting to smile, for example, is something which I've never really thought about before. But you are right. Kids can be cruel sometimes and they can just say something which maybe will might be taken the wrong, the wrong way by the child and therefore they don't want to smile. And we know that smiling, even when you don't feel happy, can increase those kinds of feel-good hormones in your body to actually make you feel happy overall. But when you don't want to smile and you're reducing your kind of interaction that way, I imagine that's damaging on a level which maybe we can't really comprehend or measure yet. Um, so that's hugely interesting, and I completely agree with you there.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's almost, um, it's. That's, I guess, sort of why I have, I have a sort of very big interest in the sort of the public health side, as as you can obviously imagine. You know, and also with kids myself, I guess you know, yeah. I look at it probably have a a very sort of personal approach to that in that respect. Um, and that's why I think, you know, there's, it's not just, um, you know, we all have a, a role to play. And I think, you know, doing things such as this with yourself, you know, podcasts and, you know, helping sort of to educate people on different, different topics. And, and then, you know, in sort of classrooms and um, from a you know industry level from a policy level, I think all of these things can ultimately have a positive impact and and make changes for the benefit of people's general health and well-being. Um, mm-hmm. But it's difficult, you know. It's a long journey, and there's lots of steps, and you know all of those all of those things. And you need buy-in from from everybody, and and you know, it, it's possible to do. But um, you know, with, you know, all, all the cliches, um, as it were, you know, steps, you know, baby steps, but. Um, you know, I definitely think if we if we sort of put our patients' health um, as as sort of priorities and as a priority and put it first, um, I definitely think we will, we should start to get more of that integrated healthcare approach. You know, doctors and dentists and nutritionists and and all you know whoever it may be and physios and everybody talking to each other and realizing that it's not. You know, we we shouldn't be so siloed. Um, We should communicate more as a a profession. Um, Because ultimately, you know, it's it's for the benefit of our patients.
0: Preach! (laughs) I couldn't agree with you more there. That is something I bash on about all the time is that the integration of health professionals, you know, is so, so important to the benefit of patient care. Um, and you've just you've, you've reaffirmed that and put it so articulated that so beautifully there um, something which i wanted to ask you about or actually everyone's probably wondering so what can people do to optimize their oral health and then we all go to the dentist they say you need to brush etc but like how many times you need to brush for how long for with what kind of toothpaste and should we floss every day should we not should we always use mouthwash can you give us just some quick tips in terms of something which some people might find boring and samey, but I'm still interested in what you have to say with this one. Sure,
1: from a practical point of view. So always brush your teeth twice a day and try to be doing that for two minutes using a fluoride-based toothpaste. And you should always spit, don't rinse, because we would like the fluoride to stay on the teeth and keep the the teeth nice and healthy. And the same applies for children. Um, The fluoride content for children's toothpaste differs, and so does the toothpaste which you put on their paste. But we in a practical point of view, you know, if your child has two teeth, you're going to brush their teeth for 10 seconds. So I generally say three to five seconds per tooth. Um, for children, I generally say make sure you are brushing their teeth um, every morning after breakfast before they leave the house for school. Obviously, during COVID, that's not practical, but after breakfast and lasting at night before bed. Um, so they're not having sugars sitting on their teeth as they go to school because there's sugars in all sorts of food and cereal. And then I've sugars before bed. Um, I definitely encourage patients to try to be flossing or using interdental brushes, um, uh, ideally every day. But I realize the practicalities of it are that most people won't be doing that. So I always say, while we'd love you to do it seven times a day, aim for five. Realistically, you'll probably do it two to three. And then from there, you know, from there, we'll gradually, you know, it's very difficult to create new routine. And I think if you make it an achievable target, it's it's much easier for patients it's more realistic there's no point giving patients unrealistic expectations because they just they'll just give up straight away so you know i say one to two maybe three times a week if you can then you'll begin to realize the benefits of it um or i sometimes say to patients do you know what we've done a clean hear the issues really go for it every single day and um you know using floss to clean in between the teeth where a brush can't get it using those, you know, little interdental brushes to clean at the gum line. And after about a week, you'll realize, oh, God, this feels really nice. And you want to continue. So, you know, people's brains work differently and they're motivated by different things. And it's playing into the psyche of individuals and what works best for them. Um, And, yeah, diet, from a diet perspective, uh, certainly, you know, like you said at the very start, you know, people, it's okay to have these things, you know, in moderation. We're not, but I think... Reducing, certainly reducing the frequency at which our mouths and our teeth are exposed to things such as sugars and acidity. Um, you know, rather than snacking it constantly throughout the day, you know, keep it to your meal times. Um, and your in-between meals should be something which is, um, sugar-free. Um, you know, swapping a sugar for a xylitol, for example. Um, of course, there's also the smoking issue, which obviously are, I'm an anti smoker. I'm also an anti vapor. I think, um, I find it very worrying that vaping is so, um, publicly marketed, even in things such as pharmacies. I know it's been very effective in helping people reduce how much smoking they're doing, but at the same time, people tend to be smoking, um, tend to be vaping more frequently than they would be having a cigarette. So cumulatively, you actually, um, have your contact time is much higher than if you are having two to three cigarettes a day people are more socially acceptable to sit there on a vape you know you know wherever it may be constantly and don't forget there's still nicotine in there you still got um essentially heat being exposed to the soft tissues which can cause uh cellular change and potential long-term um problems of which of course the research is very limited in terms of um that at the moment And finally, just from a practical tip, making sure you are going to your dentist regularly. Don't leave it till last minute problems. Um, Prevention is always better than cure. Um, And, um, you know, that is uh, hopefully will will help patients put them in, in their mouths in good stead for the future.
0: Brilliant. And something which i actually found really useful it was and i think it was introduced to me by tim ferris who i watch and read his blogs occasionally he, he was like because he hates flossing i think he said to floss he set himself out to floss two teeth every single night so it's only two teeth but the fact is when you've started flossing you're more likely to finish your entire mouth but you set yourself a goal goal of two teeth so if you just manage two teeth then you've you've completed your task but I promise you, and I started this. I floss nearly every day now, um, or every day, um, primarily just because I know if I if I really don't feel like it, I only need to floss two teeth. Um, yeah. And that has been a really helpful tip for me. Which sounds daft, but in terms of longevity of me doing something, it's probably been the most successful intervention I've had. To
1: be honest, I don't think it's daft. I actually think it's it's quite clever because it's it's a good it's. It's sort of psychology there, isn't it? Really? Um, you know, you give a easy, attain, achievable task and objective for people to, to sort of strive for. And, you know, you think, Oh, great. Well, I've done two. Let me try another two and let me add another two. And then solely the motivation behind it is patients feel rewarded because they've managed to get through smaller tasks. And ultimately, you know, it's, you know, towards the, the bigger goal of ultimately flossing the entire mouth. And, and, um, you know, I think. Every we're all different. We all have different, you know, motivations and different ways and things that we respond to from a psychological point of view. And um, what works for you doesn't work for somebody else, and, and etc. And I think, um, you know, I think just being realistic. There's no point, like I said, there's no point a patient coming in and me saying to them, "Right, you have to floss seven days a week." It's not going to happen. Um, so yeah, listen. If it works for you to start with two teeth a day and then build up from there, then I would, you know happily um
0: happily support that yeah and when you said from a psychological element i know dr Rangan chatterjee bought um his book out i think it's feel better in five or i might be screwing up the title either way i'll link to it in the show notes for listeners and um, but essentially he, his idea was like it's just five minutes a day or five minute habits every single day and they'll, you'll gradually build up to to better your health and what he's found is that in terms of clinically when he says you know just exercise 5 minutes a day which is something very very doable people tend to do more because they've set out to do 5 minutes but as once they've done 5 minutes they actually want to do that little bit extra so that yeah. psychological element really i think interplays with multiple different facets of of your lifestyle or aspects of your lifestyle I should say
1: yeah definitely and i think um you know just from from like an exercise point of view you know that's um you know especially to, let's talk about now even just sort of during lockdown obviously you want to you want to do all this exercise while, we've got be, while we can um <clears throat> if we've got the time to do it anyway and you know i i haven't done any exercise for a little while i've been unwell and i have an injury I thought, okay well you know, there's no point in me going straight into running a 10k you know i started off i went for like a 10-15 minute jog and each 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 run I just added five minutes on top of it um because I knew I could achieve another five minutes there's no point in me adding another half an hour and then obviously now I'm back up to sort of the fitness levels where I wanted to be um so so yeah it's it's setting ourselves achievable tasks um you know and, and just to actually come back to that you know for example you know when we're talking about diets all very well patients coming into me and they've got mouths full of decay because they're consuming these diets as you know it's it's all very well me saying, right, well, don't have this drink or don't have this anymore. But we need to make it realistic. We need to find them an alternative. You need to plan out a diet diary with them. It's, it's all very well just giving someone an order. But if you don't have something for them to switch to, you know, so that's why people have got onto vapes because it's the alternative to smoking. Um, you know, and, and it's, it's easier for them to maybe cut down that way. Um, to say, we well, don't have cans of Coke anymore. Or maybe we can say to patients, okay, move on to a sparkling water, for example. Um, and then you'll, you know, if you want that sort of fizzy hit, you know, we, a lot of people when they have their fizzy drinks, they like that hit of like the, the sensation. So um, it's, the psychology is so interesting and so important um, to helping people make lifestyle changes. And um, it's absolutely not to be disregarded. And I think that's, sort of ultimately sort of underlines everything which we've been discussing today, you know, getting patients to, to understand and to take on board, you know, and make those changes in their life, which will ultimately impact their rest of their health.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just going to, um, I know we're coming up on time, so I'm just going to quickly go into the last three questions I ask everyone on the show, um, with the first one being, What is the most impactful change that you have made in your life and why? Um,
1: Well, I've done, well, as I said at the start, I've done quite a few different things. Um, Impactful in different ways. One is uh, actually finally embarking on a profession in dentistry. Um, Has made a major change to my life from just a, you know, Job satisfaction point of view. Um, I'm extremely happy with with what I do and where I am in that respect professionally. Um, and um, I think sort of doing from a personal perspective, just trying to do more exercise and keeping healthy in that respect, uh, just to generally feel yeah, feel better, um, yeah, more energy, um, yeah, and from that side of things definitely
0: perfect and then secondly how can healthcare become more integrated with the kind of interventions i guess around functional dentistry that you've outlined today
1: well i think like i was saying i sort of said towards not towards the end was yeah i think just taking stop all of us being so siloed and much better communication and integration between um the different um healthcare professions and um, you know I think that will ultimately you know a more collaborative approach will ultimately help bring um, you know shed light you know find further evidence to to support um, our, our patients and, and and look after their their health
0: brilliant and then the last but not least can you please provide the listeners with three tips? And like I say this all the time, but I know you've provided many already, especially with the practical elements, but three tips to help improve their health and well-being from today.
1: I think stress management um, is crucial. I think that has a major impact on pretty much every aspect of our lives. Um, I think, yes, absolutely stress management. I think diet, um, again, as we've discussed at length today also has a huge impact on our on our health and well-being Um, and I think uh, communication um, and I think that communication ties very closely with stress management because um, it can you know communication with our our loved ones our friends our family our colleagues um, our patients um, it it really is incredibly powerful and has can have such a positive impact on on and on what we do and how we live our lives.
0: Perfect. Saul, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. I've been found this podcast extremely interesting and this conversation extremely interesting. But before you go, can you please tell the listeners where they can find you and what exciting projects you have coming up?
1: Cool. Uh, so I work at Montague Dental. Um, it's a dental practice just uh, on Montague Mansions, 47 Montague Mansions in Marlebone, just off Baker Street. Um, and I, yeah, my exciting projects, I'm doing a lot of, uh, work in the area of sports dentistry, um, looking at the impact of, of oral health and, um, sporting performance, um, in amateur professional and elite athletes. And, um, yeah, that's, that's one to, to keep an eye out for. That's what I'm involved in at the moment.
0: Brilliant. Well, Saul, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. I've certainly learned a lot and I do hope that we can do this again soon.
1: Thank you very much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. It's been great. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Functional Health Podcast. You can find links to everything that we talked about today in the show notes. If you have a second, please consider leaving a five-star rating on iTunes. It really does make a huge difference and helps get this valuable information out and reach more people. Don't forget to subscribe so you can stay up to date and know whenever I release a new episode. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook or our website and all questions are welcome. As always, thanks to Joss Aurelia for the editing and Alan Harper for his support.